Good morning. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you again for the time that we have every Sunday morning to gather with your people, to gather with your church, and grow in our knowledge of grace and love, um, knowledge of your word. Lord, but grant us understanding and wisdom on how to apply it in our lives as we live it out. Lord, help us to be good examples of your son, Lord, as we reflect him and reflect your glory. Lord, help us give you all the glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So before we get started, uh, last week I had said something and two brothers came up to me and lovingly uh, corrected me, which um, I am very thankful for. So I was talking about forgiveness and I mentioned self-forgiveness and how... uh, so two guys came up to me and, and said that's unbiblical, and they gave me scripture and word about that. And so I want to correct that. Um, self-forgiveness is a worldly um, idea. So you cannot play the offender and the victim at the same time. And we have to understand that Christ and God's forgiveness is enough. So we don't need to forgive ourselves on top of God forgiving us. So that's lifting yourself up in self-righteousness, saying that I can't forgive myself even though God has. And so that's unbiblical. And there is no model in Scripture of self-forgiveness, right? When David, in his sin against Uriah and Bathsheba, um, his quick turnaround, because he knew he was forgiven, um, he was singing for joy. Um, after his forgiveness, and there was no process of him forgiving himself after he asked for forgiveness from God. Does that make sense? So I apologize, but I thank you for the brothers that came up to me and corrected me lovingly. So um, makes sense? Good. So uh, as we start our second week in discipling, um, this class is, or this session is why disciple? Why disciple? And why would you want to disciple somebody? Um, Is it because you have to, right? Is that the idea that comes along with it? Is it it feels is it an obligation, or is it because you want to? uh, Because you have found some form of motivation that makes you want to do it. Um, Last week we said that every Christian is called to a ministry of discipleship, whether it's you being discipled by a more mature believer, or you discipling someone younger in the faith, um, or even better both. Uh, Before we begin this ministry of discipleship, we want to understand the biblical support for a Christian's motivation to make disciples. And today we're going to consider two reasons why we should all be discipling. So reason number one, we'll get right into it. Why disciple? And it's for your joy. It may strike some people as odd to say that the primary motive for our discipling others is the joy that we receive from discipling. Sounds selfish, doesn't it? But while there may be many ways that we could potentially pursue this joy wrongly, the fact remains that scripture presents our joy as a legitimate motivator for Christians as disciplers. And so listen to these verses, and these are in your handout. Uh, it says in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy, 
So it says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Philippians 2, 1 and 2 says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Romans 16.19, For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what it is good and innocent as, and to what evil is. And then the long one, 2 Corinthians 7 Starting in verse four, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. And then in verse 13, therefore we are conformed and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more of the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame, but just as Everything we said to you was true, so our boasting before Titus has proved true, and his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I ha have complete confidence in you. And then the last two, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And lastly, 2 John 1, 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. So question, in all these verses, what was Paul and John's basis for rejoicing? What was, the, what was, what was their basis for rejoicing? Gospel. What else? Yeah. Yeah. So discipling, um, the way that they were discipling and bringing them up in the knowledge of the word and they were growing as men and women of faith. And that gave them great joy because they were living that out. Right. Um, but they did. They wrote about their own joy because of this. And God intends to produce joy in us when we are used to help others prosper and grow as well. So from, from these texts, we see that Paul and John are taking special encouragement from the knowledge that they were personally used by God to help build up Christians to whom they wrote. And does this surprise you at all? This is a biblical reason that we should not be ashamed to cultivate. Christians can very naturally find great pleasure in seeing other believers grow and prosper, can't we? So Paul would often refer to his hearers as his children in the Lord, and he seemed to take appropriate pleasure in seeing them prosper through the fruit of his ministry and the ongoing work of the others. So Paul's joy is that his children are walking in the truth, right? So that's the last verse we read in 2 John. It says, um, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth because it's now being lived out by the people, and now it's the next generation as well. Um, and that's, that's the base of the gospel, is living it out. So 
is this sort of joy selfish? Um, does, does a joy in personally helping to mature disciples lead us to be man-centered, or is this a good thing? It's a good thing. So it was the sum total of what Paul and John, and many others, by the way, took pleasure in. Um, and then, yes, it could lead to a wrong dependence, but that's not the picture that we get here from Scripture. Um, they were delighted to see themselves as the means used in Christian discipleship, specifically because it then brought glory to God they supremely loved, right? The, they, they saw others having joy in living out truth, and it brings glory to God, which is where our joy come from, right? They didn't do that for their own glory, absolutely not. They did it for the glory of God, the one that they serve. So Christians rejoice in seeing other believers grow, and they take special joy in seeing that growth occur as a result of their involvement. In this pleasure of laboring to see other people prosper spiritually through your involvement in their lives is one of the most foundational joys of the, of the heart you know, a true Christian disciple, okay? So secondly, we uh, believers grow as fruit, watching believers grow as fruit of your ministry is a part of your glory and reward before Christ. Far from being wrong-headed, it would even say that if you do not take real pleasure, this is, this is a tough one, if you don't take real pleasure in being used by God to encourage and build up other believers, um, then there's something inc incorrect with your understanding, because it's, it's one of the things that gives you the most joy and the most gratefulness, being used by God where you, sh you don't deserve it. You don't deserve to be part of this plan, but God has grafted you into him and using you for his glory. So our, and then thirdly, our pleasure in seeing God you, use us to encourage and build up other believers is an important and biblical motivation, and it's, but it's not the ultimate motivation. And that leads us to our second point. Why disciple? It's for God's glory, which is our ultimate motivation. So we learn from God's word that the result of discipling is greater fruit. Sorry, that the result of discipling is greater fruit from our lives that leads to God's glory. So to consider this idea carefully, we're going to spend the next few minutes looking at a section of scripture that explains this concept in, a, in very, very great detail. So it's John chapter 15. And I believe it's in your handouts. If not, you can turn there. Um, it's the first 17 verses in, in John chapter 15. So right now we're going to start reading the first eight. So here Jesus teaches his followers, and this is what he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my father, by this my Father is glorified, 
that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So in the next few weeks, we will have time to think more about what it means to remain in Christ as an avenue to fruitfulness. But right now, I want us to look at more at the, the final idea of this section. What is, what is it that Christ describes in the life of the believer that will bring glory to the Father? There you go. I was like, I, didn't, I heard something. So bearing much fruit and proving to what? To be a disciple, a true follower of Christ. Right? So we can talk about it all day long. But if you're not bearing fruit, what, is, what does this text say? That you're not a true disciple, right? It needs to be lived out. So, next question. And what will that fruitfulness demonstrate to a watching world? What, was, what will that... Um, where is it? And what will that fruitfulness demonstrate to a watching world? What will others see? Yeah, a change in you. Did someone else say something? God is glorified. Love for one another. That's a big one. That's right. Right. Amen. So, yeah, exactly. It's, it, they'll know that we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, and we're not just talking about it. Right? If there's real change, you'll live it out. And then, so then, what is the fruit that Jesus is speaking about here? Well, they, yes, it's, so it's kind of a trick question because it's not specifically addressed that what this fruit is, but we're going to talk about it. Um, it's, it's, let's see, the text is not specific about this, what this means precisely, or even if it is meant to be only one thing, um, or perhaps many things are intended here. However, we can get a pretty good idea, a uh, good insight into what meaning is intended by simply continuing to read in the next few verses here. So nine through 17. So here we see examples of the kind of fruit that Jesus had in mind. And it's the fruit that should naturally flow from our being in Christ. Okay, and how that fruit brings great glory to the Father. So we'll continue to read starting in verse 9. So as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and, by, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Is there a theme there? I'd say so. So clearly, John chapter 15 is focused on the need to abide in Christ and on the love that he has shown for us. But there is also a 
plain command for, for us in this passage as well. We are told that we should love each other as Christ has loved us. And that's a huge command. I mean, it's a tall order. So it seems obvious that at least part of the fruit that is implied here is love. So, for example, a love for God that shows itself in love for each other. But let's think about how Christ has loved us and how that may give us clues to the particular kind of fruitful love that we are called to display here in these, in these verses. So, first of all, Christ has laid down his life for us. So we see that in verses 12 and 13. And we read that Christ loved us by laying down his life for us. He commands us, who are followers of Christ, to do likewise. So love for us is defined by us imitating Christ. And so, for example, loving fellow believers by laying down life on their behalf. So last week, if you remember, we said that we cannot lay down our lives for another with the saving effect that Christ alone could accomplish, right? We, we don't offer that. <laughs> Christ is, is the only begotten son of God and his death accomplished a great atoning work that we can only marvel at, but can never mimic. So still, it seems that Christ would have us expend our lives for others in something of the same way as he did as well. So let's think more specifically about what laying down our life could look like. So with regard to doing good for humanity, what was the primary object of Jesus laying down his life for us? And what was he accomplishing for those he had chosen by laying down his life? And there's, there's a lot of answers to this. God's glory. Our good. Salvation. Salvation, obviously, that's a huge one. That's why we're all here. Joy, good. Anything else? So uh, these, these answers, we have to see how we reflect these as we go through them. So the primary object of Jesus laying down his life for us and how we model it is to bring us to the Father, first and foremost, so that we may share in joy that Christ enjoys with the Father, so that we can bear fruit, so that our joy will be complete, so that our enmity towards God would be replaced with a loving relationship. All of those happen. And so it, sh it should be with us, all those answers, as we reflect what Christ did for us. We should lay down our lives for others with deliberate intent of making ourselves a means that God may use to do these good things in the lives of others. So most of us will never be called on to die for other Christians. Only a select few are actually called to pour out their lives as a drink offering on the altar of martyrdom. But the rest of us are also called to pour out our lives as well. It's just in a different way. Day by day, by pouring out our time, our energy to do real, eternal good for the believers that Jesus has placed around us. Jesus laid down his life to do eternal good for those he loved. We should pour out our lives for others, not simply to help them in some earthly sense, but to try to help them eternally. Our fruit should be the fruit that will last forever. So by us discipling one another, we help bring people to the Father, right? Remember we talked about the conduit 
last, last week? The pipeline. So if this is God's word, it needs to be poured through you to other believers. So you are just transferring the truth to other people. So as we do that, we bring other people to the Father. We help their joy um, that Christ enjoys with the Father. We, we share that. We help them bear fruit so that our joy will be complete and so are theirs and that their enmity with God would be replaced by a loving relationship as well as we give the gospel. So secondly, Jesus made known to us that he had learned from his Father. So we read that Another mark of Christ's love for his disciples that he made known to them what he learned from the Father. He opened up with the truth and purposes of God to them, and he shared with them the knowledge that came from the Father as well. It is tragic that in our arrogant and individualistic culture that many have lost the biblical understanding that teaching is not necessarily autocratic, which is oppressive or rude. It's not like that, and it shouldn't be like that. Far from being arrogant, to lovingly teach another person about truths from Scripture is a supreme sign that you really love them and consider them your friend. We, who have learned some things from God, should love others by sharing the truth of the Word with them, as Christ has done so graciously for us as well. So a second way we imitate Christ and show love for our brethren is by willingly sharing with others the truth that you have learned from God's Word. Amen? So this doesn't mean you need to be an expert in the Bible. You don't need to be a seminary professor. um, Every Christian in this room has been given God's truth. Amen? So whether it is from your own personal study of the word or from a uh, public teaching uh, we get in this church or from good spiritual conversations you have with friends, Um, or from the the great reading we get to do through the many books sold here or passed around in this church, you have a responsibility to show love to others by not hoarding that truth. So you are called to be a conduit of truth to pass along to others what you have been taught by God. So if you set out to deliberately relate to another Christian with the intent of doing them good spiritually, um, you are loving them by laying down your life for them and by willingly passing on to them the truths of God's word. Amen. We don't want to just sit here and get fat on, on God's word and just be fed, 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 fed. Um, we, we used the example of the Dead Sea last week. Um, all that does is have stuff pouring in and nothing pouring out. And what happens to that sea? Nothing can live in it, right? There's no, there's no fish. It's the Dead Sea, right? So we can equate that with just getting fat on the word and nothing's flowing out. Um, and we get pretty lazy. You know, we're, we're people, <laughs> we're fallen sinners and that's easy to do. So we always need to have stuff flowing through us, not just in. So if, to be fruitful in, in conclusion here to, to be fruitful in discipling, we should focus on fun, fundamental motivation for discipling. It's our joy and God's glory is the ultimate motivation. And secondly, desiring to see other grow, others grow, it's very normal for Christians, right? You see others um, differently than they see themselves, and you can help them along. We all have blind spots. I know I have a bunch. So, you know, I need people to come up to me and tell me true spiritually from God's word. 
So we all need that. And so we want to see you guys grow. We want to see this church grow. Um, we want to see them grow in unity and their knowledge and wisdom of grace and salvation and what that looks like, what forgiveness looks like. So all of these things are important for us to help one another and guide one another in, right? And it's always pointing back to what? Right, it's the word. It's, we're not some spiritual guru, right? You know, we're not some monk or, or someone who people come to for wisdom. It's, oh, okay, let's see what the word says, right? What does Christ say? What does Christ want for your life? What, is, what does God command us? Um, we're not trying to give little tidbits of wisdom. If they are, if they do, they should come from here. <laughs> Amen? Okay. Um, so things to do, things to do. Uh, first, meditate on the way discipling brings you joy, the way it builds up the church and brings God great glory. So think about that, mull it over this week, um, how you are being used by God. And if you're not, maybe that's a good good motivator is to follow God's commands. Secondly, things to do. If you find that you are still not motivated to spend time encouraging other believers to grow, then take some time this week to contemplate and kind of soak in the reasons for discipling that we have set out in today's lesson and last week. So as you consider biblical reasons, we hope that you will find that the word begins to motivate your heart, right? And if you're still struggling, uh, come talk to me or somebody else, um, we'll point you to God's word. So determine today, the lastly, to cultivate a taste for the joy of being a means God uses to encourage others. There's, there's no greater joy than to see that God has, has used you and someone comes to you uh, maybe a couple days later, it could be weeks or months. Um, with teaching the youth for so long, it's a lot of time years. Um, until they come back around and they see the truths of Scripture and they come and thank you. Thank you for teaching me that and not telling me something that's not true. And hopefully they're saying thank you for God's word and that you are being that pipeline. It's like that's all I'm telling you is what's in here. And so the Holy Spirit does the work, right? We're used as a means of grace, in each one of our lives. Um, we are not the Holy Spirit, thank God for that. And so, but God uses you as a primary means of grace in pe other people's lives is, is discipling. So when they come back to you and say, thank you so much, what you said, God used for my good. And you're like, and you praise God together. Is that not joy? I'd say so, right? And then it humbles you that God would use you in that way to affect someone other's life like that, and then you praise God together. It's a beautiful thing. So any questions before we close? I know it's a short lesson today, but we can practice what we just learned <laughs> for, for the next half hour before church starts. Um, any questions before we wrap up? Last week or this week? Next week is a good one. It's a, it's a bit longer. Um, it's on excuses uh, of, of why people think that they shouldn't disciple. Barriers and excuses, but it's, uh, it's, it's good. We'll go over two theological misconceptions, um, one a complacency and, and two of an inadequacy. So five reasons of why 
we think we're not qualified. They're all false, by the way, <laughs> or misunderstanding. Um, shall I pray? Any questions? Love you all. Yes, absolutely, because um, we're all sinners. I did that, is it last week or when we were doing the, the children's uh, parents help, help class? Um, I teach a lot of people of what I did wrong and what not to do. <laughs> um, but God uses each one of our experiences um, of what's, what to do or what not to do, but we do need to base it on why, um, why it's right or wrong or why it's good or not good to do by, by his word. Um, well, it's, you can say the word says this and I did this. So this is what happened and it doesn't line up with God's will. Right. So, um, we can use past experiences, uh, to say, Hey, like, this is the right thing to do, or um, don't do that. Cause that's what I did. And, um, it's a perfect example of what not to do. <laughs> I have too many of those, but by God's grace, you learn, right? Good. All right, I'll pray. Lord, we, again, thank you so much for this time. We thank you for learning more about discipleship. Lord, that it brings you glory. What a, what a great, great comfort that is to us that we are able to be used by you in any way possible. Lord, we um, don't deserve it, but we glorify you in it. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, in that as our feet hit the floor in the morning, we know that your mercies are new every morning. What amazing truth. Help us to stand on the truths of your scripture. Help us to comfort one another in them. Help us to know what they are so we can comfort others. Lord, and as we disciple and encourage one another and lift one another up, help us to always point each other back to the word. Lord, in, in, in giving you glory for all that you do in our lives. We love you. We praise in your son's name. Amen.